Our Bible reading this morning is Psalm 51, verses 1 to 12, where David says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your living word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. And we pray that as we come to consider that you are merciful May your word touch our hearts and speak into our lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just draw us close to yourself. Give us minds to receive your truth and hearts that are ready to embrace you afresh in love. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I came back from my first visit to the United States in 1978 with two contrasting yet complementary images in my mind. I'd been to Jamestown in Virginia, where the first group of English settlers landed in the New World, and I saw there three replicas of the ships that carried those settlers across the ocean. They were so small and so fragile, you could hardly believe they'd be able to make that hazardous journey. The other image, at the other extreme was when I was at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., and I got to walk around Skylab and saw the lunar rocks and the lunar buggies and was amazed by the technology that enabled man to walk on the moon. Both the settlers and the spacemen showed incredible courage and determination in pushing back the frontiers of knowledge and experience by journeying into the unknown. And we need that very spirit for the journey we each must take to discover the reality of the person and presence of the living God. We need courage and we need determination to explore and encounter the God who has revealed himself to us in the person of his son, Jesus. Over recent weeks, we've explored different aspects of God's character and nature. And this morning, our journey of discovery introduces us to God's mercy. Love, mercy, and grace 
are three distinct characteristics of God's nature that are inextricably linked together. We can't think about God's love, as we did last week, without also being confronted with God's mercy, channeled to us through God's grace. If love describes the way God feels about us and acts towards us, then mercy describes the way he reacts to our situation and our condition. In Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, David says this, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he understands how weak we are. He knows we are only dust. God sees each one of us struggling to deal with the problem of sin, yearning to live in a better way with higher values, searching to find the way to God, and constantly being frustrated in that aspiration. And with a heart of love and compassion, God reaches out to us and extends his mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Mercy is always an expression of the covenant love through which God calls us into his family to be his children and reveals himself to us as our loving Heavenly Father. With this in mind, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 63, 7-9, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I will praise the Lord for all he has done. I will rejoice in his great goodness to Israel, which he has granted according to his mercy and love. He said, they are my very own people. Surely they will not be false again. And he became their savior. In all their sufferings, he also suffered. And he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the years. Reading that verse, I was just thinking, how amazing it is if we're able to say this morning that we can personalize Isaiah's testimony. He became my savior. How amazing to think that God has become our Savior. In all my sufferings, he also suffered. And he personally rescued me. And in his love and mercy, he redeemed me. He lifted me up and carried me through all the years. I hope you can make that your own testimony, these wonderful words of Isaiah. Uh, the 19th century American preacher Thomas DeWitt Talmadge said this, I am told that the wonderful mercy of God is like an ocean on which are placed four swift sailing craft, each with compass, sextant, choice rigging, and a skillful navigator. I tell them to launch away and discover for me the extent of this uncharted sea. The first ship sails to the north, the second to the south, the third to the east, and the fourth to the west. They sail 10,000 years and one day come up to the harbor of heaven. I shout to them from the beach, have you found the shore? And they answer, there is no shore to God's mercy. 
Swift angels dispatched from the throne attempt to go across it. For a million years they fly and fly, but then come back and bow their heads at the foot of the throne and cry, No shore, no shore to God's mercy. You see, my dear brothers and sisters, there is no limit to the mercy of God. And as we think about that ocean of God's mercy, God invites you and me this morning to plunge into its depths and to rejoice in the wonder of it. As we turn to the Scriptures, the Scripture shows us, first of all, that mercy is God's sacred personality. God revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai as a, a God of mercy. In Exodus 34, verse 6, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, the merciful and gracious God. I'm slow to anger and rich in unfailing love and faithfulness. I show this unfailing love to many thousands by forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Even so, I do not leave sin unpunished. God's mercy is expressed as much in his justice as in his love and compassion. Mercy would be a cheap commodity if it were offered at the expense of his righteousness and holiness. But God's attributes do not conflict with each other, rather they complement each other. And we see the reality of God's mercy through his continuing faithfulness to those who are in a covenant relationship with him, even when they are so often unfaithful. Moses says in Deuteronomy 4 and 31, "'For the Lord your God is merciful,' He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the covenant. God cannot ever deny himself or ever be less than perfect. He shows mercy to man because mercy is a fundamental aspect of his nature and very being. Even when the Jews turned their back on God, God still reached out to them in love and mercy. Jeremiah 3.12, O Israel, my faithless people, come home to me again, for I am merciful. I will not be angry with you forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. Because God is merciful, he's not willing to give up on anyone. He keeps the door of salvation open so that anyone today who confesses and repents of their sins may enter into eternal life. 1 Peter 1.3 says, All honor to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is by his boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again. Now we live with a wonderful expectation because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. For God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Mercy is fundamental to God's personality. God will never be anything other than merciful. Mercy is God's sacred personality, but secondly, mercy is also God's sovereign prerogative. 
On his deathbed, the German poet and philosopher Heinrich Heine, a friend of Marx and Engels, but a Jewish convert to Christianity, is said to have declared, of course God will forgive me. That's his job. And in some ways, there is truth in what Heine said. And yet that statement on its own fails to express the fullness of truth. You see, man has no claim of rights on the mercy of God. We cannot presume on God's mercy. It's entirely his prerogative to exercise mercy. In Exodus 33:19, God says, I will show mercy to anyone I choose. And quoting that very verse in Romans 9.16, Paul expounds it by saying, So receiving God's promise is not up to us. We can't get it by choosing it or working hard for it. God will show mercy to anyone he chooses. Now, some people might think it's not fair of God to be merciful to some and not to others. Paul, in Romans 9.19, explores that question. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not listening? Haven't they simply done what he made them to do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to criticize God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who made it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? It's wrong to ever think that God would do anything that was less than scrupulously righteous and fair. God will never be anything other than merciful, even in judgment. In his book, Discover Yourself in the Psalms, Warren Wearsby tells a story from the American uh, West. In a frontier town, a horse bolted and ran away with a wagon that had a little child in it. Seeing that the child was in danger, a young man risked his life to catch the horse and stop it. The child who was rescued on that day grew up to become a lawless man. And one day he stood before a judge to be sentenced for a serious crime. The prisoner recognized the judge was the man who years before had saved his life. So he pleaded for mercy on the basis of that experience of already having been saved by him. But the words from the bench silenced all his pleas. Young man, then I was your savior. Today I am your judge and I must sentence you to be hanged. Today, through the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, God in mercy reaches out to us as our Savior. But if we turn our back on God as our Savior, then one day we will stand before him as our judge. When we make our appeal to God for mercy, it has to be on his terms, not ours. We have to acknowledge and repent of our sins. Proverbs 28:13 says, "People who cover over their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy." And on that basis, David prayed 
in Psalm 51, verses 1 to 3, in our reading this morning, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. It is always God's prerogative to be merciful. We have no right to expect mercy. But when we receive it, we are forever in God's debt. Mercy is God's saving, sacred personality. Mercy is God's sovereign prerogative. And mercy, thirdly, is God's saving purpose. While God must always be true to his righteousness and justice, his desire, his heart's passion, is to be a merciful saviour. God saw man's helplessness in the face of his sin, and he had compassion on him. Out of that desire to show mercy, he established a covenant with man, opening up the way to salvation. The Bible tells us the only way we can be forgiven our sins and reconciled to this holy God is through that way of salvation, which meets the demands of his justice, his holiness. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Your throne is founded on two strong pillars, righteousness and justice, unfailing love and truth walk before you. So under the old covenant, God opened up a way of salvation that satisfied his justice. Man's sin was atoned through the sacrifice of a substitute, the Passover lamb. On the Day of Atonement, the Lamb was slain, and the high priest would take its blood into the most holy place in the temple and sprinkle that blood over the mercy seat. The mercy seat was God's symbolic throne on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And when the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, God's justice was fully satisfied. His mercy was extended to guilty sinners. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the spiritual fulfillment of everything we see portrayed in the mercy seat, the lamb of sacrifice, and the atoning blood. Paul says in Romans 3, 23 to 26, all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He's done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sin. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. God was being entirely fair and just when he did not punish those who sinned in former times. And he is entirely fair and just in this present time when he declares sinners to be right in his sight because they believe in Jesus. It has always been God's purpose to save lost sinners and bring them back to himself. On the cross, the Lord Jesus, our Passover lamb of sacrifice, 
offered himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The cross is the demonstration of God's mercy reaching out to sinners. At the cross, God's justice was satisfied, sin's penalty was paid, and God's wrath averted from sinners who deserved his punishment. Titus 3, 4 and 5 reminds us, Then God our Savior showed us his kindness and love. He saved us, not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. David wasn't content simply to be forgiven. David wanted to be made clean and pure, so he cries out to God in verse 7 of Psalm 51, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. God's purpose has always been to show mercy to guilty sinners. Paul says in Ephesians 2.4, God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's special favor that you have been saved. Mercy is God's saving purpose. And then the scriptures also teach us that mercy is God's supreme pleasure. God says in Ezekiel 18 and 23, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Of course not. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. God takes no pleasure in punishing the wicked. Rather, he delights to show mercy. Micah 7 and 18 says, Where is another God like you who pardons the sins of his people? You cannot stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing mercy. So when we ask for mercy, we are asking for the gift that God delights to give to us. Nothing pleases God more than to hear someone pray the prayer of David in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Those today who pray David's prayer for a clean heart, for a right spirit, to be restored and made new in God's presence, to have a willing, obedient spirit. Those who pray that prayer bring great joy to the heart of God. The joy that is in heaven when the lost sheep is found and restored again to the fold. So, mercy is God's sacred personality. It is God's sovereign prerogative. It's God's saving purpose. And it's God's supreme pleasure. And finally, mercy is also man's special privilege. It's our privilege to receive. God's mercy 
is something we don't deserve and something we should never take for granted. When the old Puritan saint Richard Hooker was dying, his friends around the bedside said, Brother Hooker, you are going to receive your reward shortly. No, no, he replied. I go to receive mercy. All you and I deserve is punishment and condemnation because of our sin. But because of God's grace, we have received mercy. And it's our privilege to receive that mercy he offers to us in Jesus Christ this morning. And if it's our privilege to receive mercy, then it's finally our privilege also to extend that mercy to others. It's our privilege to receive and our privilege to give. God says in Hosea 6, 6, I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. And in Micah 6, 8, those memorable words, the Lord has already told you what is good, and this is what he requires to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In the parable he told about the unforgiving servant, Jesus warns us that God will only show mercy to those who themselves will be merciful. Matthew 5, 7, in the Beatitudes, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. And in James 2.13, there will be no mercy for you if you have not been merciful to others. If we want God to be merciful to us, then we must be merciful in turn to others. It's the special privilege of man to be the object of God's rich mercy Every one of us is a debtor to God's mercy and grace. Mercy is one of those amazing attributes of our God. So alien in man, but so intrinsic and fundamental to God. Mercy is God's sacred personality. It is who he is. Mercy is God's sovereign prerogative. It's the decision he wants to make. Mercy is God's saving purpose. He longs for all to be saved. And it's God's supreme pleasure. And that's why mercy is our special privilege this morning. Let's rejoice that our God is a God who is merciful. Let us pray. Father, how we thank you for your mercy, a mercy that is lavished upon us through Jesus Christ, your Son. Help us each one this morning to be able to receive that mercy and to share it with others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.